This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. In 1828, a man by the name of Horatio G. Spafford uh, was born in Chicago. Horatio grew up uh, in Chicago to become a prominent lawyer, uh, part of a well-known legal practice. He was a partner. He was part of a Presbyterian church uh, in which he became an elder uh, growing up and serving God in and through that church. He married a young woman, and with this woman, they had five children, uh, four uh, daughters and one uh, son. And as they began to live their life in Chicago, and as his wealth grew, uh, Horatio began to invest on what then was the cutting edge of real estate in Chicago. Uh, He bought homes and storefronts and businesses all along uh, the lake uh, in uh, Chicago. Well, if you know the history of Chicago, this all happened in the 1860s, and by 1871, the great fire of Chicago actually took all of that real estate. Uh, The wealth that Horatio had built and invested in, and he was moving uh, in that area, was swept away with fire. Just prior to that, his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. And so by 1873, exhausted Rebuilding his life and his practice, he chose to take his family on a trip of rest and renewal across the Atlantic Ocean. And so they chartered a ship. They bought tickets and and journeyed across. And and a couple days before they left, he had business things he had to take care of. And so he sent his wife and four daughters ahead of him. And they journeyed across the Atlantic. And yet the ship that they took never made it. Uh, His four daughters uh, were killed and a wreck at sea as they journeyed uh, to England. His wife sent home a telegram with simply two words on it, saved alone. This is the story of Horatio Spafford. And when I hear this story, I hear this story of a man who was faithful to God, a man who loved God, a man who experienced great wealth, and yet all of these things were torn away away from him. I cannot help but think of another story. Uh, This story is the story of Job. And this morning, as we engage Scripture, I invite you to turn with me in your uh, pew Bibles to page 453 of your Old Testament as we open to Job uh, chapter 1. In Job 1, uh, beginning with verse 13, Job, who was also a wealthy man with many things to his name, this is his experience. One day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell on them and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. And then while he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three columns made a raid on the camels and carried them off. 
and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came across the desert, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people. And they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is indeed the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, This morning, uh, we are continuing a sermon series that we have uh, called Explore uh, God. And in this series, our intent is to dive into five questions uh, that have uh, plagued uh, churchgoers as well as those outside the church uh, for generations. Uh, questions that we believe uh, our neighbors are asking, that I know that our coworkers and our people in our community, people in our schools are all asking. And those questions are simply this. Uh, is there a God? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Uh, is Christianity too narrow? Is the Bible reliable? And can I know God personally? Uh, Pastor Owen, who preaches primarily at our 509 campus last weekend, said, that if you are just going to be here for one of those weeks, he would go ahead and give you the answers to those five questions. Uh, The first one is, yes, there is a God. The second one is, I don't know, but we'll do our best to cover it this morning. Uh, The third one, is Christianity too narrow? No, but some Christians are. (laughs) The fourth one is, is the Bible reliable? Yes. And the fifth one is, can I know God personally? And he said his answer was absolutely, and we hope you do. Now, hopefully, the sermon series will have a little bit more nuance and depth to that. But again, if you're only here for one week, I want to make sure you have the answers. My daughter was here at 8.15 worship last Sunday, and before Pastor Angelo began to speak on Is There God, she had already written yes in the margins and circled it and pointed to it and said, Daddy, do I have to listen anymore? I said, yes, you still do. And then after the sermon, I said, Campbell, what do you think now? Is the answer still yes? She said yes. I said, good, Pastor Angelo can keep his job. But these are the questions that are asked, and honestly, as a pastor, I believe this second one is probably the one that I engage in most often. Uh, This second question is a question of pain and sorrow, pain and suffering, is a place that I often sit with people who experience loss, people who are experiencing grief or pain or look at the evil and the violence in this world and wonder. If there is a God, why this? If we answer that first question, yes, is there a God? Yes, boldly, then then why this? Why loss? Why death? Why sickness? Why pain? A few years ago, the Pew Research Center did a survey of people who asked these hard questions of faith And the number one question that people asked went something like this. If there is an all-knowing, all-powerful, and loving God, 
Why is there pain and suffering in this world? So today, alongside 50 other churches in our community, we're asking this question together. Uh, John uh, Taylor has put together a graphic, and these are just 10 of those churches this morning. And we share them with you, one, for two reasons. One, I want you to be praying for our neighbors, for our other churches in our community. Uh, Praying with those who are engaging these conversations that across the triangle this morning, people are having a chance to encounter the good news of the gospel. The other reason is I believe and I know that there will be people in your neighborhoods and in your workplaces and uh, in your schools and uh, in your families, perhaps, that attend some of these churches. And my hope is that you will be having conversations together about how we as a united witness might share uh, the good news of the gospel. And so we will be engaging this together. So this morning, that's the question. The simplest version of it is this. Why does God allow pain and suffering? Uh, When theologians and pastors have engaged this question over time and generations, uh, they have written much on it. Uh, Pastors like John Wesley and John Calvin, uh, Martin Luther, Uh, theologians like Thomas Aquinas have all engaged this question. And and as these smart, brilliant theologians have asked this question, for many of them, it comes down to a simple concept. And as they ask, why does God allow pain and suffering, they really say that we're asking another core question about our theology and our understanding of God and God's relationship to this world. And that question really is about the will of God. They said, what we're asking is, what is God's will for this world? What is God's will for me? What is God's plan and desire for my life? What is God's plan and purpose for our community or for our churches? And does this event, does this thing align with God's purposes and God's will for our lives? Is this consistent with God's will? And what pastors and theologians have said over time is it's really easy for us when good things are happening to give credit to God. When we get a promotion at work or engage in a new healthy relationship, when we see healings, when we see uh, good things happening, when we watch these uh, new and beautiful things rise up, they say it's easy for us to say praise God. We see it in our own lives, and we see it on television all the time. Pastor Angelo and I were joking this week that you watch the television, and if an NBA star has a triple-double, it's easy to say, praise Jesus. If the Super Bowl is won, it's easy to say, we're going to Disney World, and praise Jesus. (laughs) If we see an Oscar or Grammy or some success, it's easy to say, thanks be to God. And It's in these places that we can say, this is clearly God's will for my life because it's going so well. Well, when Satan looked at Job, Satan saw the same thing. And it says in Scripture, in Job chapter 1, that when the evil one looked across all of these places and he saw Job, he said, God, who is your, who is your servant who is faithful? God said, look at Job. Job is so faithful. And, and the devil said, well, of course he's faithful. Look at his life. He's got a great wife and kids. He's got a, a great job and wealth and stature. Of course he sees sings praise to you, God. Of course Job is faithful. Of course Job is obedient. Of course Job is saying, blessed be my God and king. And then Satan asked permission, God, let me take these things away and let's see who's faithful. 
And I think an important thing for us as we read Scripture this morning is to see who that divine actor is who is causing pain and suffering. The evil one breaks in and says, let me take these things away. Let me cause harm to his family and to his things and to his person. And let's see if he still says, blessed be the name of the Lord. We saw his response in Scripture, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But when Leslie Weatherhead talks about this, Leslie Weatherhead's a pastor, and it was one of the resources I'd offer you this morning. That's one we've talked about this in this church before, as recently as a year ago. He wrote a book called The Will of God. And if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write it down. It's a great resource. Uh, Weatherhead was a pastor in England uh, during World War II. And he was a pastor of a church called City Temple. Again, if you know your history, if you're more of a history person than I am, you may know that church. It may ring a bell. City Temple is a church that was destroyed by the bombing of Germany, or the Germans bombing of England. And Weatherhead, in response to the bombing of his church, the destruction of his community, wrote five sermons where he said, we often confuse or not, don't nuance enough the will of God. He says often we use the will of God broadly to mean all things and how they happen and, and that we just sort of wrap around, our arms around this idea without any conversation about what it really means. And so he preached five sermons. The book is a collection of those five sermons. The first was simply an introduction. The fifth was a conclusion. And there were three in between where Leslie Weatherhead tried to distinguish for us really a, a better framework for us to talk about God's will. And these are the three descriptions he offered. Simon, will you pull up the circles first? The three descriptions that Weatherhead laid out were three ways that we can talk about God's will. The first is God's intentional will or God's ideal will. That's the inner circle. The second is what he calls God's circumstantial will. And the third is what Weatherhead called God's ultimate will. Or if you were with us last week, God's teleological will, the, the will towards the end or the purposes of God. As he defined these three things, Simon, you can pull up the definitions. He says God's intentional will was God's ideal plan for humanity. A God's circumstantial will was God's plan within certain circumstances. And then God's ultimate will was God's final realization of his purposes. He says, God's intentional or ideal will began at creation. When God created Adam and Eve, when God created humanity, and God created the earth and all that's in it, God created these people and things to be in perfect communion with God. That was God's design. That was God's desire. That was what God desired for humanity across time. And it was that perfect communion, it was that perfect relationship that we were created for. It's what we long for. When we celebrate communion this morning, we look both backward and forward. We work backward to an ideal design where everything is perfect and everything is right. But as we know, one thing that God gave each of us as a gift of grace was the gift of free will. And in that gift of free will, what we watched with humanity from the beginning of time is that there were choices that were made that led humanity outside of God's ideal will. And it was through choice, it was through what we call sin, this deviation of God's design by humanity because of free will, that we now live in this other kind of world. A world distorted by circumstance, by sin, by evil, by brokenness. And that second part is what he calls God's circumstantial will. 
that we are outside God's ideal plan, and yet God is still working in those places. God is still moving in, in our world through, through responses to sin and to evil and to death. See, one thing when I read scripture and I read that story of Adam and Eve, when I was very young, I, also, I always used to wonder why the story didn't just end there. <laughs> God created humanity in this beautiful garden with these beautiful relationships, and God says, you have free will. I just ask you to not do one thing. Don't choose this. Don't choose this knowledge, the tree, the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And if you just would do that, just stay in the communion with me, we're good forever. And I thought, this is great. And then Adam and Eve make a choice. And I think, I don't understand why God just didn't stop <laughs> and start over or do something different or just say, okay, you made a choice, we're done, and, and have this punitive, disciplined type approach. But the beautiful good news of the gospel is God doesn't stop there. We have all of this scripture. The, the story of Adam and Eve happens in these four pages. That's it. We have the rest of scripture tells of God continuing to pursue us. God continuing to love us. And even when our love fails, God's love remaining steadfast and choosing to walk alongside of us. That is what God's circumstantial will is all about. The stories of scripture are constantly these stories. Stories of God's people turning away, stories of evil and sin, and God choosing to find ways to redeem, to restore, and to offer where there is death, resurrection. See, for Jesus, God's son at work in this world, God's son alive in this world, he sits on a cross offering himself his life, death, and resurrection. In death, when he is separated from God the Father, he crawls, cries out, you know, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, the next part of that story is it's into your hands I commend my spirit. The next part of that story is Easter. We are an Easter people, an Easter season where God still is working and God is still re offering resurrection. For Job, Job also sees this. Job sees this reality and he offers to God these words in verses 20 and 21. It says, Job rose, took, tore off his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, the gospel we preach is not a gospel of prosperity. It is not the prosperity gospel. It is not that if you do things A, B, plus C, that you equal D, where you get your healthy, wealthy, and wise. The gospel that we preach, the gospel that we read about, is a gospel that it, even if you do A, B, C, and D, you might experience pain and suffering. And you might experience pain and suffering because there is free will, there is sin, there is evil, there is brokenness. When we ask why does God allow pain and suffering, the follow-up question is just as important. And that question is, where is God in the pain and suffering? Where is God when pain and suffering happens? Where is God when there is a loss, a death? Where is God in school shootings? Where is God in hurricanes? Where is God in destruction? Where is God? And the answer we find over and again in Scripture is that God is right there. God has taken brokenness and sin. God has taken evil and destruction, and God is taking those things and finding a way to create redemption and new life. Where there is God, there is new creation. Where there is God, there's a future with hope. 
That's the gospel we learn and preach. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said this in her book, Death, the Final Stages of Growth. She talks about what it means as we experience new life through loss. She says the most beautiful people are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their ways out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, with gentleness, and a deep loving concern. She says beautiful people do not just happen. I love that last part. Beautiful people do not just happen. I want to close uh, with four scriptures for us this morning. As we seek to answer this question, I want to share how scripture speaks of pain and suffering. In Psalm 30, verse 5, the psalmist writes, uh, when I, While I know that darkness may last for a night, rejoicing comes in the morning. Psalm 23, which we may know well, it says, Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. In Romans 8, Paul promises that neither death nor life nor depths nor heights nor things of this world or things the world can come to come can separate us from the love of God. In Romans 8, verse 28, it says that we know that in all things, God works for good for those whom God loves. So where is God in the midst of pain and suffering? God is Emmanuel. God is with us. God is redeeming us. God is making new ways. In 1980, Candace Leitner, after the death of her 13-year-old daughter, Carrie, she was killed by a drunk driver. She was killed because someone made a sinful choice to drink and drive and get behind a wheel that killed her daughter. Candace did not blame God for that, but Candace instead said she was going to watch God redeem that terrible thing. And Candace founded an organization that we know today as MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And she's using that all for tragedy to provide new hope and new life and new ways in communities across our country. Many of us in this area and knew in the early 90s a man named Jim Valvano who died from cancer and in his fight against cancer founded a foundation called the Jimmy V Foundation that does so much for cancer research and for caring for cancer patients and families in our country. Again, Jimmy V didn't blame God for his cancer. Cancer was a result often of our abuse of this creation we were put in communion with and and carcinogens that are formed as we uh, break that relationship. And and yet Jimmy V found hope and gave hope and continues to give hope through this new way. In In 1873, Horatio Spafford journeyed across that ocean. And as Horatio Spafford journeyed across that ocean, he came to the spot where his four daughters were presumed to have lost their lives. And Spafford, as he was journeying and reflecting on this loss, wrote these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul.
We know Spafford because Spafford uh, wrote this hymn. And we're going to sing this hymn in a moment uh, together, uh, being reminded that while we may not always know why there's pain and suffering in this world and why the easy answer might simply be evil and sin, there are no, often no easy answers. Uh, we do know that when there is pain and suffering, God is with us. When there is loss, God is with us. When there is sorrow, God is with us. And when God is with us, we too have the opportunity to say, it is well with my soul.